listening to Messy Jesus Business, a podcast about radical gospel living. Hey everyone, I'm Sister Julia Walsh, a writer, spiritual director, and jail minister living in Chicago. Welcome to The Mess. You're listening to episode nine of Messy Jesus Business. I've been blogging at MessyJesusBusiness.com since 2010. Messy Jesus Business, the blog, and now the podcast, explores how the mess of radical gospel living brings disciples into a life of struggle as we advocate for social justice, live simply, serve others, practice contemplation, and live in community. In this episode, we'll hear from Marlena Graves, the author of the new book, The Way Up Is Down. Marlena Graves is a writer and adjunct professor. She has worked at Farm Labor Organizing Committee, FLOC. Marlena holds an MDiv from Northeastern Seminary in Rochester, New York, and is a graduate of the Renovare Institute. She has been a bylined writer for Christianity Today, Encourage, WomenLeaders.com, and Our Daily Bread, and she is also the author of A Beautiful Disaster. Marlena lives with her husband and three daughters in Toledo, Ohio. We discussed how scripture shaped her imagination and how justice and mercy go together. We also talked about how money, power, and influence tend to complicate faithful Christian living. It's beautiful. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Marlena. Welcome to Messy Jesus Business. Hi, Sister Julia. I am thrilled to be on with you. Oh, it's really good to have you here. And congratulations, congratulations on your new book. The Way Up is Down, Becoming Yourself by Forgetting Yourself. Wow. It's a big topic to cover. <laughs> yeah. 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 What? So um, I have some questions prepared about the book and about your life and your understanding of the kingdom of God. But before we get into that, I'd be interested in hearing a bit about you and your journey and, and how God got you to this moment, writing a book called The Way Up Is Down. Oh, thank you. Um, well, I guess I could start with, um, you know, when I was little or younger, I, I have to say I grew up very poor and I lived, I was born in Puerto Rico, but uh, grew up most of my life, not all of it. I lived in California for a little bit, lived in Puerto Rico for a little bit, but most of my life I grew up in the north, uh, Northwest Pennsylvania, south of Erie, Pennsylvania, um, which is the northern tip of Appalachia. And that's where my dad was from. And uh, we were poor for several reasons. The area was impoverished, uh, so there was limited income. There was some uh, uh, um, mental illness that kept income from coming into my family. And we were isolated too. It was a very rural area. 
And I always say we probably were the only like Hispanic Latino people in the census. I think we were <laughs> or some mm. of the only ones, some of the only ones, at least in our town and where we lived and in my school district. It may there might have been one or two others. And uh so I did never liked watching television, um, in daytime TV or anything. I don't know why, I just was that way. Um I liked being outside in nature and contemplating God. And my um, abuelita and abuelo, abuelito, grandparents, my mom's parents would live with, uh, with us on and off. They lived with us through most of our life, except when they stayed with my uncle Lenny in, in Florida. And I would uh, see abuelita who only had a third grade ed education. I think she was born in 1916. And her mom died when she was eight in childbirth. And I think there were 10 or 11 of them in her uh, family in Puerto Rico. And so she had to go to work to try and earn money, maybe as a seamstress or just doing other stuff so that the kids can eat and to help her dad. But every day I stayed with her. She moved in in a little trailer across the street with us at one point. And I wanted to stay with her because it was quieter in her house. Um, and my brother and sister and my oldest brother is nine and a half years older than me. So he was out of the house, but I liked staying with her. I loved her and abuelito. And I would see her every day, read her Bible, the good news Bible with the little drawings in it mm. uh, um, and try to pronounce in Spanish. She would try to pronounce the words as she read out loud. And I think as you know, she only had a certain kind of reading level in Spanish, even though she was an entrepreneur and owned her little food truck and stuff, but she mm. had a, low education, a brilliant, smart woman, but a low education due to circumstances. And I think I must have figured in my mind her influence on reading the Bible. I'm like, if Abuelita reads the Bible, then I'm going to read the Bible. Mm. You know, I don't know. It's just, she never told me to. I just saw her doing it faithfully every single day. Uh, she's a devout Roman Catholic. Um, except that we lived so far on the country, we couldn't get to the nearest church um, because of gas money. And also it was in English. So um, fast forward a little bit, probably from about um, the ages of 10 to 14, after I was done helping my parents with whatever chores I had to do, I would read the Bible for two to four hours a day because I didn't like watching TV. I was isolated from my friends. Um, mm -hmm. uh, geographically, uh, we were on the like border of the next school district. It was too much gas to go see them. So I didn't get to hang out with friends a lot. Uh, it was a rural area, as I said. And so I, you know, be out in nature, do whatever my parents want me to do, do my homework and then read the scripture. Because, and then I started to figure that if God could do the things he did for people in the Bible, he could do the same for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm one of those kids now that I'm older and I look back, you know, that we call that risk kids, you know, free lunches, mm -hmm. poverty, like all the things that um, in American society that call you at risk children. Yeah. I mean, I'm not exactly sure all the uh, oh. uh, characteristics that make for us at risk children, but I, I, I was one of them and I didn't know it though. Um, and so I have always, I guess now I know the words to articulate what it has always been. I've always had uh, uh divine imagination and scripture you know like one time I, I talk about this in my last book I I wanted Mary to make an apparition <laughs> to mm. us so I took my brother and sister out in the fields and I waited for a long time <laughs> you know 
I don't know. It seemed like forever for me. I don't know how long it was. I'm like, okay, she appeared to these kids I heard. So maybe she'll appear to me. Uh, oh my word. Can I just tell you, I relate. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I totally do. But uh, actually my, uh, for me, it was some, I did like watching TV. So sometimes <laughs> I would get tangled up like, and, and I remember the movie hook, um, <laughs> you know, and it was like, if we just believe we can fly. We could do this. And my poor sister broke her leg. Because oh. <laughs> I was like, come on, just believe you can do it. Oh, like, she broke her leg and it was totally my fault. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Like if we could just uh, drum up enough belief within us, you know, then it yeah. happen. The mountains, uh, right? What does Jesus say? Like the yeah. mountains can fall if we just believe, yeah. right? <laughs> move right. mountains, move mountains. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And oh, so, funny. Um, yeah, that's so lovely. Scripture had a really huge mm. part to play my imagination. I think that is how I see the world. And, you know, when I went to seminary, I got my uh, master's of divinity. People called me a mystic. I didn't really know what that was. Mm. Or, you know, um, some people call me a prophet and some people call me a mystic, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't necessarily think in those terms of myself, but I do definitely um, have my whole life has been between contemplation and action yeah. um, in different areas of my life and I really feel an affinity for the poor um, mm. which I would not be classified as now um, I don't mm. know what I would be classified low middle class I don't know what I am but you know what I'm trying to say I'm not mm -hmm. in the same kind of poverty I was yeah yeah that's beautiful so really the scriptures for you is uh what drew you into this life of of witness and writing and um, mm -hmm. prophetic uh, proclamation to, to sharing the good news through your work. I think so. And it's just like, I know you write too, sister. So I guess it's just the one of the ministries of our lives, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I mean, I might not always stand up. I do speak. Sometimes I get invited to speak or preach somewhere, but I uh, preach through the pen or speak through the pen. Also my life, my life more importantly, but most of my speaking comes through the pen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what are the main other things that you're involved with now? I know in the past you were an organizer for farm workers and yeah, uh, I'm actually getting ready to start a PhD program at Bowling, Bowling Green State University here in uh, south of Toledo, Ohio, and I'm going to be studying American culture studies, um, immigration, race, poverty, and evangelicalism, I think, and mm. maybe even more. I'm very interested in why the church and i say the church like i'm talking about yes evangelical church but catholic why people that are supposed to profess to follow jesus um harm the people that jesus made a beeline to so mm. i'm very interested in like what influences of course there's cultural influence but why the people that we think should be helping the most marginalized are some of the ones that harm them and if what cultural forces are at play. So this is, I guess, a new season of my life. I'm going to be starting school. I have, you know, three daughters, 13, eight, and almost um, six. My husband's a philosophy professor. So we're all going to be on the school track here in about two, um, two weeks from this po uh, podcast. But The in, recording, yeah. Yeah, okay. August, August uh, late August of 2020. Mm -hmm. And so I... Um, Yes, I have been working with farm workers up until February of 2020. And, you know, then the COVID hit. I, I was laid off from my job for financial reasons, but it all worked out. And I'm still very interested in, um, I also teach some classes at the seminary, but I'm really interested in uniting 
you know, justice and righteousness are the same words. And there's mm. some people that think, oh, these people just care about justice, but not spiritual formation and formation. And no, that's all part of formation, I think, you mm. know, I mean, but some people try to separate them and mm. say that people that are justice oriented are off their rockers or something, but that's- Yeah, yeah. That's a big, it's a big challenge. And and I, I know, obviously, I identify as a Catholic woman, and I, that's a, a challenge in our church. Um, yeah, so, and just for the sake of our listeners, in case they're curious, is there a certain type of church that you tend to worship in or yeah, identify you with? Yeah, know, I'm, I, I attend a United Methodist Church, and, um, and this is linked to growing up that the Catholic Church wasn't close by. The closest church was a small church down the road we walked to, but um, I... Uh, people some derogatorily not all you you're a closet catholic you know or an eastern orthodox you know not everyone's and not anyone in my church by the way but i'm very um i would say my formation primarily comes from the uh, catholic and eastern orthodox churches because i know that's the foundation of all even protestant formation so you know maybe i'm on a journey uh, maybe I'll return to where I came because I was baptized Catholic, but I'm definitely influenced by the saints. And, um, you know, I, I'm just, uh, I just picked up the Orbis. I love the Orbis classic, the mm. classics on Oscar Romero. Mm. You know, I'm like, oh, I can identify with him, you know? So mm. um, I'm reading that. I, of course, I know a little bit about him, but um, so right now I'm in a United Methodist Church. Okay, yeah. Well, and I would say that as a Franciscan, as as a Catholic woman, reading your book, I was like, everything in here is so Catholic. <laughs> You're totally in line with all of our teachings. And it's so beautiful. And um, yeah, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but my com my my takeaway of from your book is um the gospel life is a life of downward mobility yes which i really uh is very important to me as a franciscan one of our and third order regular as i am uh the the value of minoritas of like how can i get smaller and smaller mm -hmm. instead of inflating and becoming you know bigger which is what our society is is insisting upon so like it's a very it's a very countercultural message and, and and i i really identify with with that theme in your book yeah mm -hmm. so thank you for that what would you say inspired you to write the way up is down I, what really honestly inspired me to write it is just seeing the way the church, and I, again, when I say the church, um, for me, it is the, yes, I'll say the evangelical church. I mean, technically, I'm in a mainline church. I, the, I see evangelical and Catholics and Eastern Orthodox people that have Christ as central, you know, lifting him up, which if you are a devout Catholic, that's what Orthodox teaching, you know, if you're following yeah. the faith, then that's what you should be doing. Um, mm -hmm. It's orthodoxy and orthopraxy, isn't it? That's right. Right that's truths, right. right beliefs. Yes, actions. that's right. Actions. Mm -hmm. So I've seen, and I'll just talk about the Protestants, um, the churches just, um, and leaders and people just hungry for money, power, and influence. And uh, before the 2016 election, I'm like, uh, a lot of people that said, you know, character matters, you know, uh, that politicians should have character and, but not just politicians, church leaders. And then I see them doing all sorts of things, sidling up to politicians, just so they have power and influence. And then whatever 
you know, whatever preaching they made about power, I mean, character just went out the window. I'm like, mm -hmm. are you kidding? Like mm -hmm. you stand with people that are, uh, I say anti-Christ in behavior, demonic in behavior and, you know, um, fostering the culture of death because I don't think that just, you know, abortion obviously is, uh, you know, an important thing and we want children to live, but in every other way, some politicians, they're cultivating the culture of death towards asylum seekers, towards all sorts, African-Americans and whatever. And I'm like, and I'm using words from the Catholic church, their culture of life and culture of death. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just, I'm like, how can you say you're perpetrating the culture of life and while you're, you know, bending over backwards for money and power, this is not the way of Jesus. And so I just went back to the gospels again. You know, I, I listen to them frequently. Um, yeah, I frequently, I go through the gospels. I often listen to an audio book, but our audio Bibles um, and just thinking about how Jesus lived. He, uh, that was his temptation in the wilderness in Matthew four. And Henry Nowen talks about that in his book, you know, um, in the name of Jesus, which is one of my favorite books. Um, and money, power, and influence. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to do that. That was Satan's way, the devil's way of, of knowing, being, and doing, not Jesus's way. And so I saw the church and I see the church doing that. I'm like, no, 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 no. And I'm also preaching to myself because, you know, you could be tempted to, you know, while I might not be like a movie star or a tycoon of any sorts, right. you could be tempted in ministry to climb the ladder of money, power, and influence and use ministry as that ladder to get to those places. Mm -hmm. And so people in the church do it. And I don't want to be one of those. And so that's what motivated me to write the book. Mm, thank you. Yeah. I relate so much thinking about, um, especially as, as a writer, as someone who's just really trying to be like, okay, what's the spirit calling me to do and how can I be faithful to that? And part of the, as you know, it's an experience, the, the journey of writing is, is, uh, oh, like how big is your platform? Are you famous? You know, That's do people great. know your name? How many speaking gigs do you get a year? And yeah. I, it's not about that. I, I just want to be faithful to what God's calling me to do. And, um, that sounds super pious when I say it out no, loud, I but I totally it. mean it, you know? I yeah. don't want to become something I'm not just because that's like the expectation of the me, the career field or the ministry, whatever, uh, this this realm that we have found ourselves in as writers. So yeah let, me, yeah, let me tell you though, too, Sister Julia, I mean, I've lost some writing um, opportunities because I, uh, I'm for immigration reform and I have to think to myself, am I going to, Am I going to keep quiet about what I believe is true, what I think is demonic, you know, the way we treat uh, the asylum seekers and undocumented? I mean, that's would be a whole another podcast. And, you, and I know uh, you and several of your listeners know about this. Um, but I'm like, am I going to just keep quiet about that so mm -hmm. that I can, so people, certain magazines or publications will accept me? Um, but I'm like, I cannot. And... Mm -hmm. I mean, it costs me to the fact where I am no longer writing for certain places or, you know, publications because of that. And I think I just want to encourage you and anyone else listening to keep, keep on with who you are uh, with the writing path. I think it's a matter of just being uh, faithful and consistent and it will come and do not sell your soul. <laughs> do not sell your soul. People that want to read what you have to say. 
Mm, yeah, trusting in God, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yes, I say it, but it's hard, but I think it's ultimately the way. Mm. Is, is that what you would say is, is the messiness of, of discipleship for you? Is, is that the, the pressures and then kind of navigating through them with clarity? I think so. Cause you know, even like, you know, even in the church sometimes use the world systems of money, power, and influence, even as you say, I mean, of course, publishers have to sell books and that's why they ask about how many followers you have or whatever. But you know, there comes to a point where I'm like, sometimes I have to say, like, I have to evangelize the church. That's mostly <laughs> what I'm doing. Evangelizing the church, not unbelievable. I mean, that's, I think part of my calling is evangelizing the church. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and obviously I don't always get everything right. I have people that, you know, spiritual directors, people that speak to me to keep me, help me follow Jesus, a cloud of witnesses. So I'm not acting like I'm like some grand uh, sage or something. But what I mean is, yeah, that's the messiness because sometimes the way that the church, when it adopts the world systems and the world's ways, then it's actually being antichrist. And it could take discernment to know the way, um, mm. especially if we just depend. I mean, I, I, I think God has put people in authority. And some, but we've seen from history that church authorities have blessed atrocities mm. and, and they've been complicit and active in them. And so we have to be able to say, uh-uh, that's not the way of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we can know that by, you know, history, studying the lives of the saints and whatever. We know what Jesus's way is. And I guess I want to finally say about that too, is even there's unbelievers. I've had a couple in the last few weeks that now aren't necessarily Christians, but they even know what Jesus's way is about certain things. Mm-hmm. They're like, Jesus doesn't treat the poor and the marginalized like that. Even we, the little we know about Jesus, we know that he's not that way. Mm-hmm. And they, and they ask me, you know, what is wrong with you people? I'm like, this is the same <laughs> question I'm asking myself. Amen. Right. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, exactly. How many people do I know that uh, that just want to water it down? <laughs> you know, and I just keep it thinking all the time. If we just keep our gaze on Christ, we keep our gaze on the cross. That's, that's where right. that's where our attention and our focus is, and not on the all these other shoulds and coulds and woulds like that are that are emphasized. So yeah, thank you so much. Oh, lovely. My dear friend, I would love it. Uh, for the sake of our listeners, I think they'd love it too. Could you please read an excerpt of your book? Uh, yes. I'm thinking a little bit at the beginning. Sure. Just, yeah, actually, the the right there on page one in the self-emptying chapter. Okay, uh, I'd be delighted, and I'll quote uh, Saint Cyril of Alexandria, who says, "The entire mystery of the economy of our salvation." consists in the self-emptying and abasement of the Son of God. And this chapter is titled Self-Emptying the Mystery of Our Salvation. I stood alone at our kitchen counter, staring out the window at the menacing gray clouds. I read God the riot act. Lord, nothing is left. I am empty, barren. Your people or the scoundrels who claim to be, and you know I have more choice words for them than that in my heart, are a cabal of arsonists who set fire to our entire Christian community. We did nothing wrong, and yet you let them burn it down to the ground and then let them off scot-free. We've given up everything to follow you. For once, could the meek inherit the earth instead of being trampled on? It seems like God always has me carrying one cross or another, 
I'm putting one down just to pick another up. I continued my litany of complaints. What glories are in this? What more do you want from me? I have nothing left to give. N-O-T-H-I-N-G on empty, bone dry. Just change my name to Mara because with Naomi, I am bitter. A moment later, I threw down the gauntlet. Is this how you treat your friends? The question is one I stole from St. Teresa of Avila. The story goes that Teresa was traveling with a band of priests and nuns. She was on her way to start a new convent. As the holy party crossed the stream, her donkey launched her into the air and she fell off. At that moment, she heard the Lord say to her, that is how I treat my friends. Without skipping a beat, she retorted, that is why you have so few of them. Oh, how I can identify with her response. Another time she described life as a night spent at an uncomfortable inn. When I tried that line on God, telling him that my life too felt like an uncomfortable inn, the Lord quickly countered with, well, at least you have somewhere to lay your head. And at least there's room at the end for you. And I was like, I see how you are. <laughs> I take my permission to speak freely to God from the Bible, especially the psalmist and the great cloud of witnesses throughout history. I spend my days and nights telling him what I think, prayers, praises, laments, disgusts with evangelical and national politics, depressions, dreams, and inside jokes. Sometimes we find ourselves inside splitting laughter, especially when well-intentioned souls sing fervently but horribly off-key in church. When that happens, I lose my composure every single time. I laugh so hard that I shake with tears running down my face. Then I have to exit my pew to flee to the restroom and regain my composure. My worst nightmare is when I'm helping to lead the service and someone is singing loudly off key. Beside myself, I look down as if I'm praying or quietly contemplating what is being sung. Only I am not. I'm trying not to die laughing and hoping not to make anyone feel bad or to distract the congregation, which thankfully has only happened once. But that's a story for another time. On other occasions, I'm overcome by God's holiness and lie flat on my face, prostrate, no words, speechless, for God is holy other, mysterium tremendum. Amen. I have tears in my eyes. Oh. It's so lovely to hear it read in your voice. Oh. <laughs> Thank you so much. And, and you have an audio book too. Yes. Uh, um, it's, it just came out and it's, uh, read by a wonderful uh, narrator. I think her name's Renee, mm. or Lisa Renee. Uh, I can't remember her last name right now. I have to look, but an uh, African-American actress. So it's oh, exciting. Mm -hmm. How exciting. Yeah, this is great. And just in case people are interested, what's your first book called and what's it about? Yeah, it's uh, called A Beautiful Disaster, Finding Hope in the Midst of Brokenness through Baker Books. And it's about, to me, it's like a moder modern desert spirituality. And it's about how God uses suffering to form us. Not that we want suffering or welcome it, but it could be, you know, really horrible suffering or like the everyday aggravations of our life, how God uses that to form us in his image. Mm, amen. So Marlena, what is discipleship for you? Well, I think you said it earlier, I think is whatever we can do to keep our gaze on God and then to act out from that. So, um, you know, discipleship is being, uh, Romans eight twenty nine being conformed into the image of Christ, but how are we conformed in many ways, you know, through what the church tells us, praying, fasting, giving, but it could also be, um, you know, 
Um, I, for me, one way I fast, and you know, I call it the modern day desert is to get off social media, but <laughs> it's um, being present to God and to others. And for whatever, like whatever that entails. So if I'm to be present to God and to other people, what posture, of course, the posture of a servant, which is my whole book uh, from Philippians chapter two, not to cling to our rights. I'm not talking about civil rights or labor rights. I'm talking about, you know, the right to retaliate against people or mm. hurt them or harm them in some way. That those we aren't even... rights. People think those yeah. are rights. Well, you know, they, they, you know, they strike me, I'm going to strike them back. Even if it's like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm talking, not necessarily a right, but like mm -hmm. our inclination, even if we're harmed, even if we have the right because someone really harmed us, you mm -hmm. know, uh, to uh, not cling to those things that we think are ours. But um, mm -hmm. I think uh, discipleship is the process of, like I said, being conformed into the image of Christ, but slowly being purified of everything in us that's not of God. And as far as practices go, it could be different, but I think whatever keeps our eyes on Christ is a spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. And whatever's not, if something takes my eyes off of Jesus, if I'm not following Jesus, that means I'm turning towards death, uh, towards destruction, towards mm -hmm. you know, Satan, hell, and the devil. Yes, yeah, the, the, the Satan is the devil, but I throw towards mm -hmm. hell and destruction if, mm -hmm. if I keep my eyes off of G if I take my eyes off of Jesus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you know, as you're saying that, it brings to mind that it's like you said, it's going to be different for everyone, but um, how important it is to know oneself, mm -hmm. right? And so my eyes and how I see the world and experience Christ is very different from how you do and the next person. And so part of your, um, your subtitle for your book is for becoming yourself by forgetting yourself. So do you want to kind of unpack that a little, little bit? Yeah. When I say, um, um, uh, becoming yourself by forgetting yourself. I don't mean like some kind of weird sadomasochistic, like self-loathing and hating yourself and never admitting or allowing for your desires to come forth. Because I think God looks at us with a delight and he wants to make us in his image, but still with our personality. When I'm saying forgetting ourselves, I'm talking about, I think Thomas Merton, other people said the false self anything that is in us that is not of Christ, that is not of God. So relinquishing that, putting that to death, so that as St. Irenaeus said, he said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. I think we become more fully alive as we put the godlessness in us to death. We become who God created us to be. So mm -hmm. not giving into greed and envy and idolatry and, um, you know, loving money more than God. Mm. Those are the things that we have to put to death so that God's life, um, I kind of think it's, see it as making room for God. When we put those things to death, then God has room to stretch out in us. We're making our lives hospitable to God. And then we become who we were always made to be, mm. uh, not the false person that's mm -hmm. seeking after all those things that uh, money, power, and influence those kind of things, but the things that God has for us. Mm, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I actually um, think in images a lot and in my, in my own prayer and in my, my life in general, I'm oftentimes thinking about how uh, my heart could be like an empty bowl. Like I just need to clean out all the gunk that gets in the way yeah. and then God can fill it up. That's right? exactly the point of my book. You got it right there in your image. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's it. All right. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Well, we're coming to the end. Is there anything else you want to add about um, messiness, discipleship, your book, your journey? I guess like when we're thinking about messiness and discipleship, I mean, just to keep our eyes on Christ. And if we have a hard time doing that because of suffering or just despair or discouragement or whatever it is, um, you know, I, I like to think of uh, Mark chapter two, where uh, the the men decide, uh, lo- open the roof, tear roof open in the house and lower the paralytic to the feet of Jesus. And sometimes I'm the paralytic. Sometimes I'm one of the four friends. But mm-hmm. if I we we need others, we need the church to help us keep our eyes on Jesus when we can't do it ourselves. And when life is so messy, when we don't understand what was going what is going on, when we have trouble discerning when we think God's being unfaithful to us, mm-hmm. um, because sometimes it sure seems like it, right? I mean, because we could live in a country where people are being slaughtered and everything's uh, bad happening, but I just cling to the goodness of God, not not because it's not reality and I'm just trying to tell you to do something to make yourself feel better, because I really do believe God is good and that people that have suffered much more than I have have been able to to, to demonstrate that um, and and that you'll get through it. Like if you you feel like you're just trapped in the jungle and you can't get out because things are so hard or in a web, um, rely on other people and continue, as you said earlier, trusting in God, because that'll, that'll get you through. So everything around you and me might be messy, but we can stay, I guess this is changing metaphors a little bit, but we can stay anchored mm. and, and have clear sight if we keep our eyes on Christ. Oh, amen. Oh, thank you, Marlena. Thank you. It's thank you pleasure. so much for your work, your writing, your witness, your leadership, thank your love. You. Thank you. Well, I, I admire you, Sister Julia, and I'm so grateful to have been on the podcast. <laughs> and congratulations again on your book. I hope that everyone in the church, every church reads it (laughs) and it transforms their hearts and minds and then ultimately our world, right? Peace be with you, my friend. Thank you. You too. Have a good rest of the day. I invite you to join me in this contemplative moment. Marlena Graves referred to Romans 8 when I asked her what discipleship meant. I would like to read aloud a passage from that section of the Bible in the New Testament. If you can, I invite you to close your eyes and breathe deeply as you listen and pray. Notice if certain words or phrases stick out for you. Is there a particular message that God wants you to hear today? A a reading from Romans chapter 8, verses 22 through 29. We know that all creation is groaning in labor pains, even until now. And not only that, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, We also groan within ourselves as we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that sees for itself is not hope. For 
who hopes for what one sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with endurance. In the same way, the Spirit too comes to the aid of our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself intercedes with inexpressible groanings. And the one who searches hearts knows what is the intention of the Spirit, because it intercedes for the holy ones according to God's will. We know that all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many. The Word of the Lord. That's episode nine of Messy Jesus Business. Thanks for listening. Messy Jesus Business is produced, hosted, and edited by me, Sister Julia Walsh. You can find us online at MessyJesusBusiness.com and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you like what you heard, I'd appreciate it if you could do a few things. Could you please share with your friends? Subscribe wherever you find your podcasts and leave us a review and support us on Patreon. Thanks. Messy Jesus Business is produced in partnership with the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. You can learn more about our religious community and donate to our mission at www.fspa.org. Thanks. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, and I'll catch up with you next time. Until then, peace and all good.